Amen. Thank you. We're in Nehemiah chapter 5 this morning. Nehemiah is one of our history books, and uh, I invite you to turn there. We're in a series called uh, Vision 2020, and uh, Nehemiah is a book about uh, God who calls a man. His name is Nehemiah, and God calls him to go to Jerusalem to lead the people to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. They've been torn down for about 160 years, and they needed some leadership, and so Nehemiah gets permission uh, he goes there, uh, chapter 4 tells us in verse 6 that they've gotten halfway, even though they've had some discouragement because the enemies around them have threatened them, and they've had to change course a little bit. Some of them are rebuilding the walls, and some of them are standing guard. They had to change course, but they're back to the task, and uh, we're going to notice this morning how Nehemiah deals with some, I'm going to just call it internal affairs. And here's what we know in the Christian life. Uh, when the enemy fails in bringing opposition from the outside, he often begins to attack from the inside. And uh, to be honest, sometimes he accomplishes more when he stares up something from the inside. But when we got opposition from the outside, we kind of come together uh, to fight that opposition. But when it comes to the inside, sometimes it does more damage. And so we're going to notice this morning how Nehemiah deals with internal affairs. And so I invite you to stand uh, chapter 5, I, I taught the, uh, the first service, we learned a new word, maybe not a new word, but uh, I'm going to see if, if you all can find a, a cool word in the passage this morning. If you, if, you, if you come up upon a cool word, you can repeat it if you want to. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, with our sons and our daughters, we are many, so let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. And now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers. Our children are as their children. Yet we, we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved. It is not in our power to help it. For other men have our fields and our vineyards. I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. I took counsel with myself, and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, You are exacting interest, each from his brother, and held a great assembly against them, and said to them, We, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations, but you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent and could not find a word to say. So I said, The thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. Then they said, We will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priest and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and tempted. And all the assembly said, Let's try that again. And all the assembly said, Amen. amen. Yeah, they said amen and they praised the Lord. That's a good Bible word for us, isn't it? Use it anytime you want to. 
I told them I wanted to be able to say, and the people just amened me all this, the whole service, but I couldn't get it much. All the assembly said amen and praise the Lord, and the people did as they had promised. Let's, let's stop there and pray. Father, uh, we prayed this morning that uh, we would be like the, the Jews when Nehemiah exhorted them to do what was right, and they said, we'll do it. May, may each of us be that receptive to your word that when you speak to our hearts, um, we don't argue. Uh, we just, in agreement, say we'll do what you say because we know that every word that proceeds out of your mouth is for our good and for your glory. And uh, we just commit these next few minutes to, to the study of your word. We pray that you will accomplish your purposes through your word this morning. Give us receptive hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We'll jump there in verse 1. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. I, I'm going to call this a great exploitation of the people. Uh, we notice that there this outcry. It didn't go out against the Samaritans or the Amorites or the any, any of the enemies that we've talked about in the previous chapters. This outcry went out against their Jewish brothers. And so we say, what's, what's going on here? Well, some of the Jews were exploiting other Jews, uh, and it becomes so bad that even it says in verse 1 that the wives began to outcry. Now, the wives usually stay more silent, but it had gotten so bad, and they were struggling to have food, that even the wives join in in this protest. The Jews had been in captivity in Babylon, and they were given permission to return to the land. And so when they returned, they all had some land that they were kind of able to live off of. But verse 3 tells us that there was a famine. And so the crops had failed. And then in this passage, it mentions the taxation from the king uh, and then the interest that is being charged. And so I, I use the word exploiting. I know that's a strong word. but uh, And we would think that the Jews would never do that to one another. And yet it seems that the wealthy Jews were exploiting, taking advantage of those who had very little. And so verses 2 through 4 just show us some of the obstacles that the people were dealing with. Uh, verse 2 says that uh, there were those of, who said, With our sons and our daughters we are many, so let us get grain that we may eat. In other words, we have several in our family, and, and we've got to have some food, and we're having trouble getting enough food to feed our family. Verse 3 says that there was a famine, and so they're having to mortgage our fields and vineyards and our houses because we need grain for our family. Verse 4, there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's taxes on our fields. And so uh, all this is going on, and they had to send money back to, to Babylon uh, because they're under their rule. And so there's the taxes, there's the famine, uh, the men who are helping rebuild the walls, they're, they're not able at this time to work the land because they're, they're with Nehemiah doing the work on the walls, and their wives are saying, listen, something's got to give because we've got family that we need to feed. Verse 5, now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers. Our, so we're, we're, we're family here, yet we are, we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters have already been enslaved. It is not in our power to help it, for others have fields. And, in other words... There were some who had resources, and uh, they had uh, gotten the, the land and the vineyard because these other people needed food for their family. And uh, basically, there was either a choice to enslave their children or starve to death. And, uh, and so what we have here is Nehemiah has another problem that has arisen. 
And uh, leaders have to deal with problems whenever they come up. And thankfully, Nehemiah teaches us some things about how to deal with such problems. Verse 6 says that when he heard this, uh, I was very angry. Very angry. Uh, And there is a a time for believers to have what we call a righteous anger. Uh, Jesus certainly had a righteous anger when he saw the thievery going on at the temple and he turned over the tables and cast them out. We sometimes should have a righteous anger when we see injustices or when we see disobedience to, to God's word. And, uh, and so it, it, was, it was lawful for, for the Jews to, to loan money to one another, but they weren't to, to lend money and charge interest. Uh, we find that back in Deuteronomy chapter 23. Let me just read a couple of these verses. Deuteronomy 23, verse 19. You shall not, this is before they went into the promised land. You shall not charge interest on loans to your brother, interest on money, interest on food, interest on anything that is lent for interest. You may charge a foreign interest, but you may not charge your brother interest, that the Lord your God may bless you in all that you undertake in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. And so they were to treat each other with love. And you'll say, why is it? Well, it's because God told them over and over, I'm going to take you to a land, and I want you to know you're my people. You're my special people. This is my land. I'm giving it to you, and I want you to treat each other uh, with love, not to try to have personal gain here. Now, matter of fact, in Leviticus 25, we, uh, God instituted something called the Year of Jubilee. Every 50 years, uh, debts were to be canceled. Slaves were to be freed. If you had uh, taken someone's land, you was to restore that land to the original owners. And so uh, we, when we read through the Bible, we realize that God has a special uh, concern for the poor. And uh, he, he doesn't hold guiltless those who take advantage uh, of them. And uh, I, as, as I study this, I think it's a good opportunity just to remind us uh, that we need to uh, be upright in our dealings with one another. Uh, as, as Christ's followers, we're, we're brought together in a body, and we want to be a blessing to each other. And so uh, if someone is going through a difficult time, we, we want to help them. We want to be true to our word. We want to treat each other with, with uh, respect and love and, and uh, keep our commitments, pay our bills. Uh, the way we treat each other, and this applies even when we do business or, or how we act in the, in the workplace, it has an impact on how others view Christianity and, uh, and the church. And as the church, we're to, to love and encourage and help one another. And, uh, and so a question maybe we could ask here is, is there anybody that we may be taking advantage of? We could use the word exploiting. Any, anybody you know of that you may be exploiting in your dealings with? And so we see that. And, and then secondly, we see a great example from a leader. Uh, Nehemiah, I mean, he's a godly leader, and he gives us some, some principles. We've already seen how he dealt with opposition from the outside. He prayed, he planned, he, uh, he kept with the work. Uh, how's he going to deal with this internal conflict? Well, verse 7 says, I, I took counsel with myself. Now, I'm going to call that a, a private consultation. Literally, uh, my heart consulted within me. That, that's always a good first step. Before you, you jump off the, the, uh, the bridge, you take counsel with yourself. He's angry. I take counsel with myself. 
Uh, that's wise to do that. And so he's angry, and yet he's careful to get control of his feelings and his thoughts so that he could provide some leadership. Proverbs 16.32, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. Whoever is slow to anger. Uh, if you can't control yourself, then you're going to have a hard time controlling or leading others. Uh, I often think about James. James says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Man, ain't that always a good word? Yeah, be quick to listen. Us men, we got to take note of that one. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. There are all kinds of proverbs that warned us against being hasty or rash in our responses to conflict. Proverbs 29, 20. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. And uh, as I read that, I think about all the times where I responded hastily and, and later regretted it. And uh, I bet you have as well. So uh, he consulted himself first, and then we see a public confrontation. Verse 7, I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, you are exacting interest, each from his brother, and I held a great assembly. And so notice how Nehemiah confronts those who were guilty of exploiting others. He, he says that you're exacting interest from your brothers. This is part of your people, and yet you're taking advantage of them. And uh, verse 8 just reminds us that uh, uh, we, we, in a sense, they had been, been bought out of slavery. They, they were in bondage in Babylon. They were set free, and yet they come to this land, and they begin to enslave one another. And uh, verse 9 says, uh, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God? to prevent the taunts of the nations or our enemies. This isn't good. And God's not going to be glorified in this when you exploit His people. Uh, and, and that's what the fear of the Lord is. When we walk and live in the fear of the Lord, we want to bring glory to Him. And the way that we do that is that we come to His Word and we listen to His Word. We honor His Word. We obey His Word. Proverbs nineteen twenty three, The fear of the Lord leads to life. And whoever has it rests satisfied. He is not visited by, by harm or, or by evil, some translations. And so not only are you ruining your, your reputation by taking advantage of your own people, uh, but verse 10, moreover, I and my brothers, and again, Nehemiah, he, he doesn't say you. He, he says, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain let us abandon this exacting of interest. And so Nehemiah just cuts to the chase. We're charging interest to our brothers. Let's stop. Now, uh, that's, pretty, that's pretty good leadership. Uh, here's what I want you to do, Nehemiah says in verse 11. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards. Listen, this, they, somebody's getting ready to buck up here, aren't they? Nehemiah says, you're going to give it back. Return the fields, return the vineyards, turn the olive orchards, the houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that, that you have been exacting from them. And uh, this is when Nehemiah's leadership is about to be tested. And uh, he just calls them out and says, uh, you're going to pay back what's been taken. And uh, some people are not going to like that, are they? Think of it like this. Uh-uh. Some people aren't going to like it. And uh, what was their response? Verse 12, the, the people say, We will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And as a leader, you'd say, Praise God. 
praise God that I told them what they needed to do instead of saying, you're crazy, or you go back home, or you go be cupbearer, or you mind your own business, or you whatever. You know what would have been said. Instead, they say, you know what? You're right, and we will restore these things. And church, this is, this is so practical for us. I, I mean, chapter 5 is not the most exciting chapter in the Bible, but it's so practical for us. If somebody comes to you and they, they point out some wrong in your life and something that will affect your Christian witness or, or something that, that goes against God's Word, uh, and they call you to turn from that and make it right, you ought to so love God that you say, you know what, you're right, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make that right. I'm going to honor God, and, and even thank you for pointing that out to me. Now, that's hard to do, isn't it? But we all need to be correctable, approachable. We, we need to have those kind of relationships in, in the church that we can, if you see something going on in someone's life, you go to them in love. And I, I want to kind of offer an invitation for you. If you see something in my life that hurts my testimony or the testimony of the church, I, I invite you to come. I hope you'll come in love. Uh, it's always received better when someone comes in love, but you come in love and say, hey, I, this is what I heard or this is what I saw, I don't know, can, and, uh, and, and hopefully I can do the same to you. And, and uh, we, we shouldn't be so defensive. Uh, we shouldn't be, but we often are. Uh, but it's so important, I think, in the life of the church. We, we, have to, we have to guard ourselves against this thing called selfishness. And uh, we all like certain ministries. We all, uh, all kind of want to build our own kingdom. Uh, we kind of like it our way. Sometimes we have wrong motives. And uh, listen, we, we really just need to be concerned about the good of the whole. Uh, Matthew 6, 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. It's, it's not about us. It's, it, listen, it's not my church. It's, it's his church. And so we want to put behind us selfishness and seek to bring glory to, to God. And uh, John the Baptist, he, he said, he must increase and I must decrease. And uh, we often need to remind ourselves of that uh, because the flesh, uh, we want to increase. We have to be reminded it's not about me, it's about the Lord Jesus. And so John said, he must increase, I must decrease. There's a real battle that goes on for our pride. And uh, we want the spotlight sometimes, and we want the focus to be on me and... and uh, we want it our ways. We'll fight. We'll fight over that. We, we want it our ways. And, uh, but we read the Gospels, and, and sometimes Jesus would perform a miracle, and he'd say, don't go tell nobody. And we'd say, well, wait a minute. If something like that happened, we want everybody to know. And what we learned from Jesus is he didn't need the applause of man. He, he was concerned about the approval of his Father. He wanted to please his Father. That was his greatest concern. And so... Uh, when the people responded to Nehemiah and said, we will restore, that, that's a praise. Verse 12, uh, then they said, uh, restore, we'll do that. I called the priest and made them swear to do as they had promised. So uh, he got them all together and said, now let's make sure we understand what we're saying. You all know it's easy to make a commitment on Sunday and a little harder to follow through on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. So he calls the priests and you're all going to swear that you're going to do what you just said you was going to do. 
uh, verse 13, I shook the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And they said, Amen. Listen, this is just a symbolic act and saying, Listen, you made a promise and may God shake you out if you don't do what you said you're going to do. And all the people said, Amen. That's better. Yeah, all the people said, Amen. Truly, uh, we're going to do that. We're going to do that. And then we see a, a personal conviction. Uh, verse 14, from the time that I was appointed to be the governor in the land of Judah. We, we, this is the first time we kind of read that, that, that Nehemiah is kind of in this position of governor. Uh, Neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governors. Now, he knew the people were struggling, and he says, I'm not going to take what I could take from you. Now, there was a need there for him. Verse 17 says, There were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us, now, what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice. I mean, this is quite a menu every day. Uh, one ox, six choice sheep and birds, and every 10 days, all kinds of wine in abundance. And so uh, he, he could have required the people to provide all that for the people around his table. But he said, listen, I'm not going to demand that from you. Uh, I'm going to feed these on my own expense. And he, he's trying to serve the people instead of trying to uh, have personal gain. That's a novel idea, isn't it? Well, maybe our politicians should read some of these verses. They're, they're always trying to see what's to their advantage. Uh, but Nehemiah used his position, his position from God, to help the people. D.L. Moody said, A holy life will produce the deepest impression. Lighthouses blow no horns, they only shine. That's a good word, isn't it? Lighthouses, they don't blow the horn, they just shine the light. And uh, Nehemiah does that as well. And he says in verse 15, the, the former governors who were before me, they laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them their daily rations, 40 shekels. Even their servants lorded it over them. But I didn't do that because of the fear of the Lord. And Nehemiah says, I want to honor God. And not only did he lead by example in regards to not exploiting the people, but verse 16 says that I, I, I per persevered in the work on this wall and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. And so I, I got back to the work. I dealt with the problem, I, and then I got back to the work. And then uh, that's the mission. And uh, we got to get past all the obstacles and get back to the work. And then verse 19, I'm going to just call this a paramount con concern for, for Nehemiah. Uh, Remember for my good, oh my God, all that I have done for this people. In other words, Nehemiah says, I wasn't trying to get the, the, the applause of man. I, I wasn't trying to uh, get something for myself. My concern was God. Uh, Jesus said in John 4, 34, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And here, here's the deal. In leadership, you, often we can't please man and please God at the same time. Now, sometimes we can, and that's good when we can, but we can't always. And then, so we have to decide who's most important. And uh, even in, in the church, there are ministries in the church, and sometimes you just have to evaluate those and say, what's going to most honor God? Uh, how we do our services, how we do our ministries, we, we, and we don't have the answers to all that. It's, it's always kind of evaluating those. Uh, but what Nehemiah reminds us is at the end of the day, what matters is God's assessment. And uh, so if you want to be a, a spiritual leader, uh, if you want to be the kind that God wants you to be, you've got to quit fearing man and just 
fear God. And part of that is asking God to, uh, to empty you of pride and selfishness and just give you a heart to, to please Him. So let me just end with, uh, I'm going to just call these some key points, uh, some things that I think we learned from this chapter. Whenever you're in a position of spiritual leadership, and, and most of us, most any type of leadership, this would apply. Uh, first of all, expect problems to arise. The truth is, anytime you have people involved, it's a good likelihood that there's going to be some problems. Uh, I was doing some premarital counseling yesterday morning with a couple, and a uh, sweet couple, and I said, now listen, you all have had it pretty good right now. When you all get married, you, it's likely that you're going to have some, some conflicts. Kyle and Sierra, you all probably have some conflicts when you have two sinners living together under the same roof. That's, that's normal. The reason is because we're sinners and we're selfish. And, uh, and so expect some problems to arise. Uh, uh, this week I wrote a little blog about uh, Ronnie Floyd. He's the executive director of the Southern Baptist Convention. And a couple weeks ago he put out something called uh, Vision 2025. And in it he had five goes for Southern Baptists for the next five years. And, and as... The majority of Southern Baptist churches, we, we agree. We want to send out more missionaries. We, we've had to bring some home in the past years because of the finances. We want to send out more missionaries. We want to plant more churches. You know, we want to fulfill the Great Commission. We want to do all that. And yet there's been this tremendous amount of conflict and accusations amongst pastors and leaders. And, and the sad thing is we so often we don't recognize that as a work of an enemy. The enemy does not want our churches to fulfill the Great Commission. He, he doesn't want the work to be carried out. He doesn't want the spread of the gospel. And even as a, as a church, Burlington Baptist, I, I want you to know that Satan doesn't want us to baptize 52 people this year. Y'all know that? There's a spiritual battle. And so we pray. And we ask him to, to bless us and to bless our efforts and to protect us and to keep us one. And we pray. We do our part. We pray and we labor and we ask God to do that and uh, but if you're serving the Lord, I just want you to know that you should expect some problems to arise. Don't, don't quit just because some problems arise, all right? Secondly, confront problems biblically and courageously. Now listen, I'm a pastor and I know that often it's easy to ignore problems. The only problem is they usually don't go away. They usually dig a little deeper. Bitterness grows a little bit more and, and so... We don't honor God when we ignore problems. And, uh, and so pray for God's wisdom. And uh, James says if we ask for wisdom, he'll give it to us. And so pray for God's wisdom and then courageously confront the problem as soon as possible. Uh, we learn that from Nehemiah. He didn't delay. Uh, he counseled himself. He called the people together and said, this is what we're going to do. Thirdly, recognize problems as opportunities for the Lord to, to work. Uh, there was a book I read a few years ago. It's called Peacemaker. And just, it just helped me to realize that we deal with problems, and the way we deal with problems can bring glory to God and can be opportunities to, uh, to move people along spiritually. And uh, we're to take action with love and, and biblical principles and God's truth, and, and we can do that and bring glory to God. And that doesn't mean it'll be easy, and that doesn't mean that everybody's going to like you and their feelings aren't going to be hurt. But listen, God is big, amen? And if we deal with problems the way that He teaches us in His Word, He can use it for good. And so uh, Nehemiah dealt with this issue, and instead of getting resistance, people said, you're right. 
That's exactly what God would have us to do. And so they mature in their walk with God. Same thing can happen for us. And then finally, the, the last point is just lead by example. Now, that's what I like about Nehemiah. He, he doesn't say, uh, do what I say. He says, follow my example. You, you notice that in there? I'm not going to charge interest uh, on what I loan to my brothers, and you shouldn't either. Uh, I'm not going to take advantage of my position, and you shouldn't either. I'm going back to the wall because there's work to do, and you should too. So Nehemiah led by example. And uh, listen, as a pastor, I don't think I should ever ask you to do something I'm not willing to do. And uh, man, I love to do ministry beside you guys, and I'm not no handyman. Uh, Jenny, don't amen that. Uh, but I love to get dirty with people and do ministry. But, but there are times in my flesh where I say, ah, oh, I don't want to do that. And uh, Luke 2, 22, 27, Jesus had to say, I'm amongst you as one who served. And uh, we think, man, if I want to be like Jesus, then I probably most like him when I'm serving and serving others. And, and uh and so we see this leadership displayed by Nehemiah. And, and, and then I, as I think about Nehemiah's example, then I begin to think about Jesus and how he was the best example of, of, of leadership for us. Uh, he often sought the counsel of the Father whenever a problem came up. You remember, he'd get along with the Father. And, and boy, that's, that's what we should do. Uh, seek the, the Father. Uh, he, he, he didn't hesitate to deal with injustices and hypocrisies and evils that he saw around him. And and at the end of the day, his greatest desire was to honor his father. And he didn't worry about getting the approval of man. He wanted to please the father. And so leaders, we, we can learn a lot from Jesus. Uh, he always led by example. One time he got down on his knees, you remember? Washed the feet of his disciples. You remember what he said to his disciples? You go do that too? And then he gave us the greatest example of love. Uh, he took care of our problem called sin. He offered himself. And so, church, as we close, we, we, had, this, we had an internal problem. It's, it's sin. We're all sinners. We're in that together. Now, our sin's a really big deal. I mean, it separates us from God. It, it sends us to hell. It's a real place. Broad is a road that leads to destruction, and many are going that way. That's where sin leads us. And Jesus would come, he would live a sinless life, and then he would offer himself for our sins. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him who to be sin, who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. He became sin, he took our sins, paid for them on the cross, so that we could be made right with God. And so he bore our sins, he died, he was buried, he was raised again, and he offers to forgive our sins. And uh, what an example that Jesus has set for us. Uh, Matthew 20, 28, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. And so as we prepare for the invitation, I just I want to ask you, how have you responded to Jesus? Have you allowed him to be your ransom? Have you gone to Him with your sins? Won't you stand with me? We'll pray. We'll invite you to respond. Father, we, we, uh, 
we pray for revival a lot. Uh, sometimes I think we would have revival if if your people would just be responsive to your word. And uh, when you put your finger on something in our life that's not right, if we would respond like the Jews did and said, you're right, I'm wrong, I'm going to do what you say. And what I can't help but suspect in a room this size that there's someone who's living or doing something that's not honoring to you. And uh, Lord, I pray that uh, you have taken your divine scalpel this morning and you've exposed some things and you're a gracious physician. Uh, but I pray that we would have receptive hearts and we would say, you're right, I'm wrong. I repent. I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to fear you enough to follow your word. Lord, if you could give us hearts like that, we could see revival. Lord, whatever is going on in this room, in our hearts, we pray we would make them right today. And Lord, if there's someone here that's never come and turned from their sins and believed upon Jesus, would you save them this morning? Lord, we'd celebrate that. We, we want to see someone saved and relationships restored and sins confessed. Uh, you accomplish your purposes this morning, and we'll give you all the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, the invitation is your turn to respond to, to God's Word. If you want to know more about being saved, I'd love to talk to you. If you want to observe the Lord's Supper this morning, if you just want to pray about something in your life, we, we invite you to come. The altar's open. You, you respond this morning to God's Word.